John chapter 14, and we uh, are picking up with that chapter. Chapter 14, starting with verse 4, is where we're going to pick up. Jesus says, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the work themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. So I've entitled this teaching this morning, Know and Believe. Know and Believe. Last week we saw that Jesus was teaching. A few weeks ago we saw Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And now he, he moves from that into actually ministering to and encouraging his disciples because of what's coming up. In less than 24 hours from this time, Jesus is going to be hung on a cross. And so these guys are going to scatter. They're going to wonder what in the world is going on. Uh, this is not what we expected. And so Jesus is trying to encourage them and prepare them better for what is about to happen. And in our passage we looked at last time, Jesus was talking a lot about heaven and how he's going there. And they can't go there yet, but he's going to come back for them and still, still being encouraging to them in that. And so this verse of all verses, if you will, verse 6 in chapter 14, we looked at. But before that, verse 4, Jesus says to them, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus here is explaining to his disciples about where he is going and how they should already know how to get there as well. He's emphasizing the word know. He uses the word know twice in that one verse, verse 4, where you go, where I go you know and the way you know. And he uses the word know eight times in the verses that we just read. So as students of the scripture, which I know that we are, whenever we see a phrase or a word repeated again and again, it's obviously important, isn't it? And we're going to see that this morning with know and, and believe. We're going to focus on those two key words, know and believe. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In this verse, he gives his disciples and us three phrases, three things that we are to know about himself. To know. Three distinct, distinct things we should know about him. That he is the way, 
Without the way, there is no going. He is the truth. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And He is the life. Without the life, there is no living. And you say, Pastor Jim, that was rolling along really nice. Without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. Best I could come up with. Couldn't find a word that really rhymed. <laughs> so I thought, well, why don't I use a word that actually makes sense rather than trying to rhyme with something that doesn't. So he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So Thomas asks, how can we know the way in verse 5? And Jesus answers by saying simply, you already know the way by knowing me. Jesus says, I am the most important thing that you can know because in me, I am the way. I show you the way, the right direction. I am the truth. I give you the truth, true inspiration. And I am the life. I give you life, complete satisfaction. I am the way, the right direction, the only direction to heaven. I am the truth. The only truth, true inspiration from Jesus and from His Word. And I am the life. His life gives to us, in us, complete satisfaction. So moving in the right direction under true inspiration leads to complete satisfaction, doesn't it? Now obviously, Mick Jagger didn't get this, did he? He said, I can't get no satisfaction. He tried. And he tried, and he tried, but he still can't get no satisfaction, can he? <laughs> because he was not looking for satisfaction in, in Jesus, in Christ. That's the only place to find true satisfaction. Now, Jesus is those three things. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he gives to us those same three things in him. We are to know this. We are to know Him. And these things can only be found in knowing Him. So what is it to know something or someone? It's a word we use all the time, isn't it? I know this, or I know that, or I know this person or that person. We use it in our vocabulary all the time. But it has deeper meaning in the way we use it uh, so much of the time as you look at the original languages there are words that just pop out like love that has a much de deeper meaning than the way we use it right know or knowing or known is the same way we know this thing we know that thing we know this person or that person we know what we know and we don't know what we don't know right because it just doesn't make sense to say we know what we don't know. That just doesn't make any sense at all. Although there are people out there that would use that phrase, that maybe think more highly of themselves than they ought. Washington, D.C., politics. <laughs> However, <laughs> in John's Gospel, the word know is used over 140 times in John's Gospel alone. But throughout those 140 times, it doesn't always carry the same meaning. In fact, John's use of the word know is used in four different ways or at four different levels, if you will, throughout this book. Two of those ways we could say are foundational. 
and two of them are relational. Foundational, let's say, is knowing something. Relational is knowing someone. But we would use them in that way as well, right? In our jobs, in our, the skills that God has given us to, in our careers, there are certain things we know. And knowing that uh, makes us useful in that particular environment. And in the same way, we know people. We don't know all people the same or to the same degree, do we? Uh, so this word know, foundational knowing, is to just know a fact about something and to understand the truth behind that fact. So foundational knowing, we could say is, yeah, I know something about this. Or you might say, I am very well versed in this. I've been trained in it, I'm skilled in it, or I really know a lot about this particular subject or whatever, this thing. So that's foundational knowing, the two, two levels that we'd see there. In relational knowing, it would be to have a relationship with someone. And the second part of that would have a deeper or more intimate relationship with someone, right? So foundational knowing. If we want to move from knowing of or about something to actually knowing it, we, ha we have to study it, don't we? We have to learn more about it. You see, we can know of or about um, electricity, let's say. I know, you know, that there's this thing called electricity. That I have access to it. I can use it. I can flip a switch or plug something into the wall. And if everything's done right on the back end of that, lights will come on or power will be available for whatever it is I'm doing. But do I know it? Do I know the truth behind it? I know about it. I know of it. But do I really know it? Do I know how it works? I can study it to gain knowledge about it, even how to safely and effectively install it, if you will. Now, I learned a lot about electricity when we were remodeling this space for church. I had some hands-on experience with it. Sometimes it was painful. <laughs> because... I knew of and knew about electricity, but I didn't really know electricity. I knew wires of the same color are supposed to go together, right? That makes sense. You just don't put your finger between them when you're putting them together. That's, that's something that I learned. But even with the exposure that I've had to, to it, I cannot claim to truly know it. I know more about it, but I still only know of it. My knowledge regarding it is limited to what I truly know about it. I know facts about it, but not all the truth behind those facts. I'm not an electrician. I'm not an electrical engineer. So I can know about electricity, but yet not truly know electricity. Does that make sense? The different levels of it. I know it exists, but I don't know everything about its existence. Now that's foundational knowing. It's the degrees of that. I can know about it, but I don't know everything there is to know about it. I'm not skilled in that. Relational knowing, as it comes to people, in the same way we can know of a person, we can know of them, that they exist. For instance, I know of Tim Tebow. I know of him. I know he exists. I don't truly know him. I know things about him. 
But Tim and I, you know, we don't call each other or hang out together. So I don't really know him. We're, we're not friends. We have not yet invested in each other to know more about each other, which is kind of sad. I, I think he would really like me, I, you know. <laughs> I don't even own one of his jerseys, and I think he'd still really like me. For those of you who are younger here, do you know that there was actually a time when we didn't have caller ID? That you didn't need your phone to tell you who was calling or who you were talking to. You knew who it was just by the sound of their voice. Now, I grew up in a time, and I'm sure a few of you here, I won't point out who, when there was this thing called party lines. How many of you remember those? Wow. <laughs> a lot of you. Kind of sets the stage on the age of this whole thing, doesn't it? But I can remember going to my grandmother's house, and I was like really, really young. Okay, just to qualify my previous statement. <laughs> go to my grandmother's house, and you'd go to pick up the phone to use it, and somebody was already talking. You know, they're on the other line. And I remember my grandmother, she'd just say, you've been on there a long time, you know, <laughs> whoever it was, which was, I guess, code for get off the phone. i got to make a phone call. So... Uh, it went from there to all of us having phones in our pockets and know exactly who's calling us, right? Well, you know, take it forward from the party lines to when our phone would ring, wasn't a party line, and we'd pick it up to answer it and see who's there. Now we've gone to the point where I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> I know who it is, and I really have nothing to talk to them about right now, you know? <laughs> we have that option, don't we? And for a lot of us, maybe that's a good thing. I, I, don't, I don't know, but that's where we've come from, uh, from too, at this point, in knowing people. So I know, I know most of you on, on different levels. I know most of you by name. I know who some of you are even married to. I know things about you, but do I know you? Have I spent enough time with you? Have I invested enough time in you? to really know about you? Have you shared enough about yourself? It was really interesting that uh, this is where we are in this passage, given the time that we had together yesterday as a men gathering together, because we, we were able to share with each other. Uh, there were some testimonies shared. Uh, the guys were being a little more transparent, maybe, than what you would expect guys to be. It was, it was a really unique time. And we were getting to know each other better. We're getting to know things about each other. But here in this fellowship, some of, you, some of you know me very well. We've spent time together over time. We've invested in one another. But none of you here, no matter how, think, how tight you think you are with Pastor Jim, none of you know me as well as my wife, Chris. You just don't. Because as a husband and wife, we have a much deeper, intimate relationship with each other that far exceeds what we would call a typical friendship, don't we? We should. Well, you know, after 35 years this next year. Yeah, you can go ahead and applaud if you want. That's, that's all. Yeah. Applaud for Chris, okay? That's, that she survived 
35 years. And we dated for five years before that. Can you imagine? So it's going to be like 40 years this poor woman has put up with the likes of me. Uh, oh, God bless her, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> so we're invested in each other. We really know each other at a whole nother level than just even close friends, right? And, and that's the way that it should be. We have this deep relationship with each other. That's how we know each other. We know, well, I never know what she's thinking, but she always knows what I'm thinking. And that's the way it works a lot of times, right? And that's not entirely true. I, I know what she's thinking most of the time. Uh, but it's, it's an intimate relationship that would develop over time because we have invested in each other and really know each other. So by now you're probably thinking, okay, Pastor Jim, I came here this morning for a Bible study, and I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> well, Jesus says to Thomas in verse 7, back to our text, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. He's saying, Thomas, if you know me, you know my Father. Since Jesus has said, we've looked at the verse before, I and my Father are one. Then knowing Jesus means knowing the Father. The qualifier, of course, is what? If. He says in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, is Jesus trying to say here that uh, Thomas doesn't know him? No. Thomas has spent a lot of time with him. And so Jesus is saying, really, if you look at the original language, it's more of a, since you know me, you know the Father also. It's really more of a statement than it is uh, and an observation more than it is a question or being critical of Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap, we know that. He's the doubter. And there's really only one particular place in Scripture where we see Thomas doubts. Most of the time, Thomas is right on board with all the other guys, but yet, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, I guess, but uh, Thomas got this tag of being the doubter. And so it's, it's an unfair uh, nickname for the guy. Um, I mean, because really, you could sum up all the disciples like you could sum us up with something like knuckleheads or whatever, right? <laughs> We're all there. We're all, in, in our own way, uh, mistakes looking for a place to happen, you know. So, uh, so he's saying to Thomas, and he, again, we have to remember the scene here. Jesus is in a place where he's encouraging these guys. It's not, he's not in beat-down mode. Because he knows what they're going to be going through. And so he loves them. He's trying to encourage them in this. So as believers, we know that it goes beyond just knowing that Jesus exists. It goes beyond just knowing facts about him. This book is full of facts about him, right? That we could study and we could know those facts. Uh, it's a, having a relationship with him. That's how we should truly know him. And that growing, knowing Him should grow over time, shouldn't it? We don't just initially come to know Him and just say, okay, that's it. 
we want to dig deeper into that relationship and get to know them more and more and more. And probably the reason I brought up uh, the husband-wife thing with Chris and myself, that's probably the closest thing that we have on earth to relate to that relationship, isn't it? Our wives should be our best friends. Our wives should be the person that we know better than anybody else. By God's design, that's the way that it should be. And so then knowing that, being in that type of relationship, should give us insight into what it is to know Jesus. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that because you've only been married for a short time, you don't have as deep a relationship with Jesus as some of us that's been married 40 years. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to imply that at all. I'm just saying look at that relationship and relate it to our relationship with the Lord. It should be an investment. It should be something that we dig deeper into all the time and learn more and more about Him. Because we invest more into the relationship, spending more and more time learning about Him. Again, back to the phone call analogy. We know how it is now. Even if you didn't have caller ID, somebody called you and you picked up the phone and said, Hello, if it was somebody you really knew, you're going to recognize their voice, right? Because you've spent time with them. You have invested time with them and you recognize who it is. And it should be the same way with Jesus. The more time we spend with Him, the more time we would recognize His voice, right? To determine whether it's Him talking or some other influence. So developing that relationship with Him is of ultimate importance. We come to know Him more, more intimately, and we come to know the Father more as well because of it, because He and the Father are one. Jesus is saying, if you know Me, you know My Father. And that's really... It's cool. I was going to say groovy, but I thought that goes clear back to the party line thing. So it's such a cool thing because as we know Jesus, we know God himself. And that's just huge. I mean, just wrap your mind around it. It's one of those moments, isn't it? So Philip says to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. So now Philip joins in. We've got Thomas, and so now Philip uh, puts his two cents worth in here. It's almost if he's saying, based on what Jesus just said, we can see the Father? Let's see Him. I want to see Him. You know, I think that Philip is excited in that regard. Wow, we can see the Father? Let's see Him. We want to see Him. And it's a request that I think we can relate to if we could see God. Can you imagine that? To just see God? Well, number one, we know from Scripture that we would be dead because no one can see God and live, right? But to see Him, to look upon Him, even His Shekinah glory would just be heart, mind, everything that we are blowing, wouldn't it? It would just be incredible to see God. What's Jesus saying here? If you've seen me, you've seen God. And we think, well, yeah, but you know, these guys, the disciples, they were with him. They actually got to see him. Well, I think we have too. It's not like we don't have a pretty good description of who he is, what he's all about, right? We've got everything that we need to know in this book 
to introduce us to Jesus, to really see Him. The description, the, the, the attributes, the character, everything that there is of Christ is contained for us in this book. And if we could write this well about someone else, be able to capture everything there is to know about them this well, we could know that person without meeting them face to face, in person, if you will, too, right? I think we could because there would be such a definitive description of that person that we just know them by that. So how many of you here would say, I have seen Jesus face to face? We wouldn't in that, like I'm seeing John face to face, but yet any of us that know him have seen him face to face because he knows us thoroughly and we have come to know him and know him more and more over time, right? So we have seen him face to face. We see him for what he is and what he truly is. But Philip asked, we can see the Father? I would like, yeah, I'd really love to see the Father, Jesus. If we could just see the Father, see God, it would be enough for us to be thoroughly convinced. We would know for sure then there would be all the evidence that we need. Well, Jesus says to him in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, it's not like this is the first time this has come up, right? We've seen this in the book of John already several times, Jesus making this statement. But think of the scene, if you will. Most of the time when it's when it has been communicated before, it was in a group of people or whatever. This is a very intimate setting. It's Jesus and the eleven together. Very intimate. And so they have opportunity to ask questions and to say things. There's not all the distraction of everything that's going on. And I think that that's the way Jesus set this up because, again, wanting to encourage them, He wants to be available to them to answer whatever questions they might have, any confusion they might have. Again, the encouragement of Jesus in their lives to better prepare them for what's about to happen. Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the, the Father. Or if you know me, you know the Father. Philip, the Father and I, we are one and the same. If you know me, then you know both of us. Philip, I've taught you things and you've listened. I've showed you things and you've watched. You've experienced a lot of things with me. You have spent time with me. You know me. You have a relationship with me, Philip. So you have a relationship with the Father as well. You know me, so you know the Father. You should know me. I taught you that I am the way. I taught you that I am the truth. And I taught you that I am the life. Jesus is saying that in this verse that we just went over a couple weeks ago and then we're looking at this morning. But he had been showing them this all along, hadn't he? This isn't something new. He had not only taught them these things, but he had modeled it in his life for them as well, that he truly was the way, the only way to get to the Father, that he was the truth. Everything that he spoke was from the Father, so it was truth, and that life can only be found in him. My disciples know me and they believe in me what Jesus would say to them and he would say to us as well. So there's the knowing and also believing. Believe. 
Now this word we've looked at many times before in our study of John's gospel because, in fact, it's the very reason that John wrote this book. He tells us that in John 20, 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. We've got in our laps this morning the written truth of God, God's Word, these words written that we may believe. So yes, we need to know His Word, but we also have to what? Believe His Word. It's beneficial to us. It's profitable for us. A question that you can always ask yourself and others, do you know the Word of God or do you know the God of the Word? Because you can know the Word of God and not know the God of the Word and there's no depth there, right? It's a lot of knowledge, but nothing applied because you're not really paying attention to who's being talked about. You're not learning from that. You're just amassing knowledge. And we know what and Proverbs says about that. Knowledge does what? It puffs up. We know a lot of puffed up people in our world, don't we? I don't know if you guys noticed, but over the past few weeks, uh, they were, there was preparation for this election or something that was going to happen. And... Through the ads that you see, there's a lot of puffed up people out there, aren't they? They're trying to impress you with what it is they've done and they know and, and all of that. And we're just looking for, just give me honesty, you know. That's what I was looking for. I don't know that I actually found it in this election, but uh, I'm not going to get into politics at all. But, <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying. There are people out there that are very... Uh, pleased with themselves, that they're, real, they're self-promoters. So uh, what they have or what they know, they want to let you know that they know that. So there's a lot of knowledge there, but is it knowledge applied? Do you know God's Word and do you know the God of the Word? Turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 16. There's two verses here that to me are just, uh, if you like to use the phrase, rocks my world, these are two verses that do that. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 16. It gives us some insight into God's Word and how it applies to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love those two verses. There's so much there. There's so much insight in those two verses about what God's Word is and what it has for us. Quickly, all Scripture is what? Given. Did we have to work for it? Well, you, some of you might say, well, I had to go to the Christian bookstore and buy it, you know. Wah, 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 you know. <laughs> Call the ambulance. We've got free Bibles. If you want to whine about that, you can take one of these home. God's Word is available to us free. Uh, if you've got a computer at home, you know that. You can go on the Internet and not only find God's Word, but find uh, virtually every translation ever written free, available to you. So God's Word is given given to us. It's a gift to us. 
and it's given by inspiration of God Himself. It is God's Word. God spoke it. God said it. God uh, worked through men to write these words. They weren't working and writing in a void or in a vacuum. It came directly from God through the Holy Spirit to these men to write what we hold in our hands. It is God's Word. And then there's a purpose for it, isn't it? It's profitable. Now, I don't know about you, but anything that I hear of that has the tag on it, profitable, it interests me. It, it piques my curiosity. Oh, it's profitable. So then there is the possibility of a profit in it for me. Profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, not P-H. Well, maybe it is that too. I don't know. Let's not deal with it right now, Jim. Okay, so <laughs> is it profitable? This is profitable. It's of value to us. How? For doctrine. So it sounds to me like the best place to base our doctrine from would be from this, right? There's a whole lot of other doctrines out in the world that are skewed, to say the least. This is the best place to get our doctrine. For reproof and for correction. We love those. We love being told when we're wrong and when we've messed up. That's another one of those things that as you grow in your relationship with your wife, God uses her for reproof and correction as well. Brandon, you may not have experienced that yet. Actually, I bet you have. <laughs> she is her mother's daughter, okay? <laughs> for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. That alone it's instruction. It's teaching us. It's giving us what we need for righteousness. That's profitable. We need to know that. And then the result of that is that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just kind of equipped, somewhat equipped, equipped a little bit, but what? Thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly completely equipped for every good work that He has for us. Do, so do you want to be complete? Amen. We should want that. We desire that. Do we want to be equipped for every good work? Yeah, we should. So know and believe God's Word. It, it's profitable to us for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and instruction in righteousness. So we are to do two things when it comes to believing in our text this morning. Believe in the words and also believe in the works. And Jesus is going to cover that in the next couple of verses. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So this again is Jesus' words, and He's telling us the words that He speaks are also the Father's words. Confirmation again that it's coming from God, right? So believe in the words. He's saying, believe in my words. John 12, 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Now, I, when I first read that verse, I was like, well, yeah, I know that. And you know that, you've probably read that before, that Jesus is doing what the Father tells Him to do. The Father gave Him a command, what He should say and what He should speak. 
But what I saw there was, do I do that all the time? Do I trust in God for what it is I should say and what I should speak? Or do, am I quick to speak? We covered this in the men's thing yesterday as well. In the book of James, we're supposed to be what? Slow to speak and slow to anger, quick to listen. And you, you could be sitting there this morning thinking, well, Pastor Jim, we know you, and we know you don't have a trouble with that, the whole speaking quickly thing. You just don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, you, you sit back and you take your time and you really think things through, then you're not speaking quickly at all. That's not true. <laughs> you know that. So if we were to put our mouths in check, if you will, and say, Lord, what, it is, what is it that you would have me say, do, speak? How long does that take? Not very long at all, just to quickly do that. Whatever environment we're in, in the course of our daily lives, we have at least that much time to do that, don't we? To put our mouths in check before we speak, to make sure that what we're speaking is what the Father would have us speak. To represent God in the way that He would have us represent Him, right? Not misrepresenting Him by our own words. And if Jesus, who was God, is submissive to the Father in this thing, <laughs> obviously we should be as well, shouldn't we? He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So we're supposed to believe in the words, as he encourages us in verse 10, but also believe in the works that he gives to us in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now we know as we've gone through John already, Jesus has done many, many works, right? We also know that John's going to tell us later at the end of the book that the book itself couldn't contain all the things that Jesus said and did. So we have that example for us, all of the works that he did. We think of the biggies a lot of the times, right? The miracles, the healings, the raising people from the dead. Of course we do. Those are big time works that we look at. But the day-to-day -day things, investing in people's lives and encouraging them, these guys as well, those are works. We have opportunity to be involved in those same kind of works. Knowing that, they're not coming from us, they're coming from the Father. Jesus saying, believe in the words that I speak and believe in the works that I do. Believe in them. John 5.19, most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do, for whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. That speaks of, for us, full, complete submission to the Father, doesn't it? Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, in full submission to what the Father wanted. So believing in His words, believing in the works, how much more evidence would we really need? Jesus says, you have my words, which are the Father's words, you have my works, which are the Father's works as well. Jesus says, the Father and I work in complete harmony together, I and Him, and Him and me. John 6, 29 says, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So Jesus is saying, 
Here's God's work. Believe in me because God sent me. Now he's communicating it to what audience? The disciples, right? He's in this upper room. Uh, if you've been to Israel, you might have had a chance to go to the upper room on your tour. However, in this intimate setting, here he is with his disciples, and he's encouraging them in these things. And what are these things? For most of us, if we walk with the Lord for any length of time, we would look at what Jesus is saying here, what we've studied so far in the book of John, and we would say that these are elementary things, right? These are basic essentials of our walk with the Lord. Why is He reminding them of these things? Because they needed reminding of these things based on what the next day was going to hold for them. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages me that he has these things that he wants us to see and to know because we don't know what tomorrow holds either, do we? We don't know what's going to come unglued at work, what scene's going to take place, what emergency is going to come up. And he wants to remind us of these things so that we're better prepared, encouraged, built up, to handle those types of things, right? So it's not just the intimate setting of the disciples in this upper room. It's the intimate setting of us gathered here this morning as well in our room. Uh, not upper or lower, it's just a street level. We're here together. <laughs> and so we need to know and understand what it is that he's trying to communicate to these guys and to us. He's taking them back to the basics, the elementary things. I and the Father are one. What the Father tells me to do, that's what I do. What the Father tells me to say, that's what I say. Be encouraged in these things. Be encouraged in the things that I've been telling you about me leaving you very soon and going to heaven, but yet I'm going to come back for you. So I'm sharing these truths with you to encourage you because you're going to go through a very dark time. He's encouraging them in that. They don't know it yet, but very soon they will be empowered by God to carry out the works that He has for them to do. Verse 12, as we close this morning, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do also. And greater works than these He will do, because I go to My Father. Now we look at, especially in the book of Acts, some of the works that are done in the book of Acts, and we just think, yeah, I'm not quite there. That doesn't mean that God is <laughs> uh, hindered by what we can do or what we can't do. God can use us in any way that He wants, right? And through the power of His Holy Spirit that He's given us, He wants to do those things. But in our walk, sometimes we limit what God wants to do, don't we? Because we forget about these essentials, these basics, these elementary things of we are one with the Father. Are we not, as believers? We're one with the Son. And He has works He wants to do in us and through us as well. So what is the work? The works? The spreading of the gospel. Communicating the way, the truth, the life to others. He commands them, we know, in the book of Matthew, to go and make disciples. But he doesn't leave it there. 
He also empowers them to carry that out, right? We talked about it before. God's commandments are God's enablements. And that if He's going to command us to do something, He's also going to give us the power to carry it out. We can trust in that. We can know that. We can find comfort and peace in that. He commands them to go and make disciples. He empowers them. He wants to do the same thing in us and through us. And all that's required for us to know and believe in Him. Amen?